our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Then I go to chapter 1 verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 and 13. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. If you are there, shout hallelujah. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It's been shown on the screen. I read. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange things happened unto you. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And let's go to chapter 1, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This morning, for a few minutes, the topic I'll be discussing with us is what I call the trial of your faith. The trial of what? The trial of your faith. And I'm sure we all know what that means. The trial of your faith the first thing that we need to take note of concerning the trial of faith is that the trial of your faith does not come when you are weak, but it comes when you are strong. Can you repeat that? The trial of your faith does not come when you are weak, but it comes when you are strong. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31, it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The trial of your faith does not come when you are walking. It comes when you are mounting up with wings as eagles. It comes when it looks like you are on top of the world. The trial of faith comes when God has made up his mind that he wants to promote you. When God has made up his mind that he wants to take you to a higher level in life and in him. When God has decided that he wants his name to be glorified at the end of that exercise. As the living God as, and as the only God. So when the trial of faith comes. It's at a time that it looks like you are the strongest Christian you can ever be. It comes up at a time when it looks like there is, I mean, this, you, you, you're, able to, you're, able, you're able to say this Christian race is sweet. It's enjoyable. It's beautiful. Then, the trial comes. And at such a point in time, you should know that the trial comes not because God is quarreling or fighting with you, but the trial comes because God loves you. We are going to look at three examples in the scriptures. If time permits, otherwise we'll see how far we can go. 
The first example is the example of the three Hebrew brethren in the scriptures. In the book of Daniel chapter 3, we are made to understand that one day the king Nebuchadnezzar woke up and he built a golden uh, image. And he made a decree that everybody must bow down before his golden image. Whosoever will not bow down before that golden image will be thrown into the furnace of fire. But what men did not know is that the issue of that golden image did not just start when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It started because God wanted to promote three young Hebrew, Hebrew brethren. It started because God made up his mind that his name will be glorified. God made up his mind that he wanted the glory, his glory to radiate in the lives of those brethren. And if God will do that, like somebody will say, God will not do it Nicodemusly. You know what that means? The Bible says Nicodemus came to Christ when? By night. But when God wants to move in your life that all may see, he doesn't do it in a hidden manner. He does it and he declares it that, that the world may rejoice with you. And I pray for someone here today. The world will rejoice with you. I said the world will rejoice with you. So the king made a golden image. And he said everyone should bow down to that image. And you will notice one thing. The king's emissaries did not just, I mean, uh, set their eyes on those three Hebrew brethren. If you look at the sequence of events, you see that they had been watching them. They had been observing them. They had been asking a question. Are these ones the only one in this land? How come it looks as if everything is working out for them? How come it looks as if some are having hiccups on their journey, but not these ones? They came here as slaves. They are now railing. They are reigning. They are ruling over us. They were on the lookout. For these three Hebrew brethren. That we will see if they will worship the golden image of the king or not. And so it was not difficult for them to observe that these three brethren were not worshipping the golden image. And so they came before the king. They came before the king. They made a, a pronouncement before the king in verse 12. They say, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they wanted the king to get very angry. By saying, the people that are defying your orders are the people you have promoted. In other words, probably they would say, didn't we tell you? How could you have taken these Hebrews and put them above every other one? So they emphasize that fact. The men you have placed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And then they said, this man, Daniel chapter 3, this man, O king, have what? They have what? They, are, they have not yet, I mean, told the king what has happened. Said they have not regarded thee. They wanted to ensure that when they gave their report, the king was going to react appropriately. They have not regarded the O king. 
They do not serve your gods. And then look at the final, the report they wanted to make. They do not worship the golden image without her setup. Before they arrived at the report, they embellished the report so much to get the king to react. And the king reacted. Because the Bible says the king was angry. The king was enraged. These men were brought before the king. But you see, the king himself knew the quality of their work. That's why he promoted them. And so before he could pronounce any further judgment, he gave them a second chance. Tell somebody a second chance. He gave them a second chance. He said, is it true? You have not worshipped the golden image I have set up? He said, yes, it's true, O king. He said, okay, I'm giving you another chance. I know you guys are beloved to me. I will not want to throw you into that furnace. I'm giving you a second chance. Like we we'll normally say, they had an opportunity to be smart. They had an opportunity to be wise. They had an opportunity to behave like many of us would behave. To say, well, you know what? Let's just play smart now. And after us, later, we'll go back and serve our king. But they said no. Because they knew. Because they realized that God does not do anything for no reason. Because they realized that there is no chance in their lives and in their circumstances. Because they realized that there are times when whose hands? In whose hands? There are times when in God's hands. That whatever God has proposed, whatever God has promised, the only thing that could make it not to be fulfilled was their own reaction in times of crisis. Brethren, they were given an opportunity to be smart. They were given an opportunity to, I mean, bring in their own devices, to do it their own ways. But they said no. They said no. They chose to be godly and rest on the word of their God. Nebuchadnezzar told them, when you hear the voice of the instruments of music, go down and worship the king. I'm giving you another chance. But what, what was their response? The Bible says in verse 16, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we don't need too much thought to answer you in this matter. Because we know that the God will serve, he's able to do what? He's able to deliver us. And if he chooses not to deliver us, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve their gods. We will not worship your golden image, which you have set up. And when you now realize that the people that reported Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego already told the king, you made these people the, the, the head. You made them the leader. They don't regard you. They are not afraid of you. They do whatever they want. The king was furious. And he commanded that they should make that furnace how many times hotter than the original? Seven times. But you know what, brethren? The king was furious. But somebody was smiling. Who was smiling? God was smiling. As the king was furious, the Lord was smiling. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. 
He says, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. They imagine what? So the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. How many anointed of the Lord are here today? Against the Lord and his anointed. Saying, let us break their bands asunder. Let's cut their cords from us. But the Bible says, he that seated in heaven shall do what? He shall laugh. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He told them to make the furnace seven times hotter than original. God was smiling. And God began to laugh. God began to laugh. God went ahead of his children into the furnace. God began to fight for his children. Number one, how did he fight for them? Number one, God destroyed the instrument of judgment. God destroyed what? And what was the instrument of judgment? The soldiers, the Bible says, the soldiers that were the chiefest, the chief military men in the army of Nebuchadnezzar were the ones assigned to take these Hebrew brethren and throw them into the fire. But who, were the, who was the first to die? Those soldiers that carried the Hebrew men and threw them in the fire, they were the first to go. They were the instrument of judgment. They were the ones that made that fire seven times hotter than it ought to be. That was the first thing the Lord did. The second thing that God did, brethren, was that the fire, the consuming fire, destroyed everything that was used to tie these brethren. And I pray for someone here today. Every instrument of bondage upon your life, the fire of God will consume in Jesus' name. I said the fire of God will consume in Jesus' name. Brethren, take note. It was not the fire of Nebuchadnezzar that burnt the rope of those brethren. True or false? See, it's very easy to, to, to imagine that, okay, because if it had been the fire of Nebuchadnezzar that burnt the rope, what else would the fire have burnt? It would have consumed the individuals. Brethren, fire burns indiscriminately. Fire does not mind the person that set it up. That's why when an individual decides to burn a house on top of himself, automatically what has he done? He has burnt himself. But the consuming fire, the God that we serve, the Bible says our God is what? A consuming fire. The consuming fire is a fire that consumes discriminately. He chooses who to consume. He chooses what to consume. That fire will not consume you in Jesus' name. I said, that fire will not consume you in Jesus' name. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, the Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. It's a restatement of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, where Moses was talking to the children of Israel. And he said, for the Lord thy God is what? A consuming fire. Even a jealous God. I pray for someone here today. God will be jealous over you. Amen. Somebody does not like that prayer. Amen. I say God will be jealous over you. Amen. Because God was jealous over those Hebrew brethren. Because God looked at everyone and said, who are these ones that are ready to stand for me even to the point of their lives being threatened? He said, oh, I will stand for them. 
I will be jealous over their lives. Remember, brethren, when Nebuchadnezzar was talking, he said, who is that God that will deliver you from this furnace? And brethren, God showed up. God will show up for you. I said, God will show up for you. The Bible says, this man fell down into the furnace. But those that carried them there, what happened to them? What happened to them? They were consumed. Take note. See, there are many times you fall down and you begin to cry. And you begin to complain. And you begin to give, oh, why me, why me? Not realizing that those that chew you, those that push you down, what happened to them? They are dead. They are consumed. Many are times in this, on this journey of life, you find yourself down. You are down in the midst of the furnace. But you fail to realize that the person that pushed you down, his intention was not to do what? Was not to push you down. His intention was to destroy you. But because the consuming fire is on your side, what has the consuming fire done? The consuming fire has destroyed them. Like I always make us to understand, there are many battles in life that God fights for us. And because God makes sure we do not see those battles, we operate as if God has done nothing for us. I want to ask somebody here today, has God done something for you? Some people are not sure. I say, has God done something for you? You must not operate in life as if God has done nothing for you. That's why Micah said, he said, rejoice not over me, O my enemies. For when I fall, what will happen? I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Is there anyone here that is falling today? I want to tell you, with real assurance, you will arise. I said you will arise. I said you will arise. I want to tell you that if only God could open your eyes, you will see that those that push you down have been consumed. Do you know, brethren, the Bible does not tell us that those three Hebrew brethren were aware who was with them in that furnace? Do you know it's possible they did not see that fourth person? They just knew that when they got, I mean, they were pushed down. They just knew that God came in, God intervened. The ropes that tied them down were snapped. And they said, why are we down here? Number one, this fire is not operational. The fire has got no effect on us. Number two, the ropes are gone. Why should we be down? Tell somebody, why are you down? Ask your neighbor, say, why are you down? You know the psalmist said, he said, why are thou cast down? Oh, my soul. He said, do what? Trust in, tell somebody, trust in God. Whatever situation you may be in, if you trust in God because it's a trial of faith, because you are not there because God has abandoned you, you are in that situation because God still loves you. How many people here does God still love? You are in that situation because God still loves you. If not for the love of God, you will not even be alive to tell that story. If not for the love of God, there will be no testimony in that, in that situation. But God still loves you. And you need to ensure that your eyes are open, that you may see the love of God. When Abraham wanted to sacrifice his son in Genesis chapter 22, I believe, 
He had to lift up his head to see the ram that God had provided. If you are somewhat consumed with that problem you think you have, with the problem you think is the greatest problem in the world, you will not see the solution that God has provided. And brethren, God has provided a solution. And I pray for you this morning. You will not miss that solution in Jesus' name. I said you will not miss the solution in Jesus' name. The Bible tells us that when the king saw those four men, those four men in the furnace, the king was surprised. That king that said, who is that God? He began to praise that same God. You know, when Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and they said, they hear the word of the Lord. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Pharaoh made a statement. He said, who is that God they are talking about? That I should obey him. Who is that God that I should let Israel go? Brethren, did he know that God or not? Did he eventually know that God or not? When that God finished manifesting himself to Pharaoh, Egypt was a ghost country. I'm sure we've heard of ghost cities before. Egypt became a ghost country. And Egypt has not recovered up to today. The wealth that Egypt lost during that period of the ten plagues, the firstborns that were consumed on, the day on, on that first Passover, Egypt has not recovered up to this day. Every situation that is challenging God in your life, God himself will address in Jesus' name. Everyone that is asking that question of you, saying, who is that God? God will answer them in Jesus' name. Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace. And instead of three men, he saw four. And the Bible says he was astonished. He said, did we not cast three men into the fire? In chapter 3 of Dan I mean, Daniel 3, 24 to 25. Did you not cast three men into the fire? He said, but I see four men. And the appearance of the four, of the fourth person, is like what? The Son of God. He saw the Son of God. His eyes were open to this to see the Son of God. I pray for someone here today, God will open your eyes. Amen. I say, God will open your eyes. Amen. See, many of the things we do, the doubts that we carry around, the situations where we don't allow God to fight for us, is because many of us are spiritually blind. If God will open your eyes once in a while to see what God has done or what God is doing for you, you will learn not to doubt this God. Tell somebody, stop doubting God. And that's, it's very important. It's very important. The fact that the natural eyes cannot see most of the time what God has done or what God is doing does not mean that God is not at work. And I pray for someone here today. God will eternally work for you in Jesus' name. This king who doubted God, this king who said, who is that God? The Bible says the king himself, his captains, his, his princes, all of them, they looked and they saw that the men they expected to die were the ones walking in the furnace. The strong men that they expected to live, they died without even going into the furnace. That's why the Bible says, Vain is what? Vain is the help of men. 
If Nebuchadnezzar had his way, his military leaders will be the ones alive. The three Hebrew brethren will be dead. But brethren, there is something called the counsel of God. And I pray for, for someone here today that God's counsel will be perfected in your life in Jesus' name. Then that same Nebuchadnezzar began to praise God. In Daniel chapter 3 from verse 28 to 30. He began to pray. He said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the man that was angry. This is the man that was ready to kill these brethren. In fact, in all intent and purpose, he had killed them. But God said no. And I know concerning someone here today, God has said no to the plan of the enemy. I said, God has said no to the plan of the enemy. He said, this God is a God that delivered his servants that trusted in him. If you trust in God, he will yet deliver you. Amen. You know the song that the choir, the uh, chorister sang? He will come and do what? And save you. If you trust in him, without doubting him, if you trust in him, believing that this God does not fail, he will show up for you. Amen. I said he will show up for you. The Bible says this God stood with the men who have changed the king's world and yielded their bodies that they may not serve or worship any God except their own God. Maybe I should ask someone here today, how many gods are you worshiping? Yes, ask your neighbor. Ask, say, how many gods are you worshiping? There is one God. There is the living God. But what of the one you worship in the corner of your room that no member of the church knows? What of the God of Mammon that you worship? That so long as it will bring me profit, anything goes. How many gods do you worship? These men made up their mind that they will not serve any other God except the living God. But then Nebuchadnezzar himself made a statement. He said, because there is no God other than this God that can deliver after this soul. And so he said, every people, every nation, every language must serve this living God. Otherwise, he said, they will be cut in pieces and their houses will be made a dunghill. And brethren, whosoever goes against this living God, before they enter into the fairy furnace, what will have happened to them? They are, de they are dead. They Brethren, that is the God we serve. That is the God that you and I serve. It was just a trial of faith for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they did not fail. My, quest excuse me, my question for you this morning, will you fail God? Will you pass your own trial of faith successfully? Or when it is said and done, when it is over with, shall we be saying, oh, it was very unfortunate. That will not be your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. What of Job? We all know the story of Job. Job had everything going for him. He had wonderful and joyous children. Job's children knew how to celebrate. Like we said, they knew how to party. Is that not so? Talk to me. They knew how to party, right or wrong. They will come together. They will move from one person's house to the other, enjoy themselves. And their father was at home praying for them. He was always making sacrifices. 
Peradventure, they have seen today. Lord, have mercy upon them. But brethren, the day the problem of Job started, the day that Job's style of faith started, was it Satan that went to God and said, I want to try Job? We know the story. Was it Satan that went to, to, I mean, to God and said, God, I want to try Job? You know, we always say that, okay, uh, uh, Satan will take permission from God before he does whatever he wants to do. Was it Satan that went to God and said, God, I want to try Job? Who put Job in trouble? It was God. Everything was working perfectly for Job. And he trusted God. He believed in God. But for Job, it was just what? A trial of faith. It was God that looked at Satan and said, oh, you are here again today. By the way, have you considered my servant Job? A perfect man. A man that eschews evil. A man that will not toy with anything that is contrary to God. Have you considered him? And Satan said, I can't even move near him. Everything he has you are protected. Let me touch him. When you go to the book of Job chapter, uh, chapter 1. From verse 1 downwards. You see the whole story there. And so, God, who pointed out Job unto Satan, said, okay, go ahead and shift him. And the woes of Job began. On the same day, he began to lose everything. He lost everything that was there to him. But Job had a testimony. Job had what? When you look at verse 20, when you look at verse 20, or verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, after all the reports came and said, everything has been destroyed, Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell upon the ground and did what? And worshipped. Worshipped who? He worshipped God. And he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. The Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at the very important aspect. He said, in all this, Job did what? In all this, he did what? He did not sin. Neither did he charge God foolishly. I want to ask you a question today. Is there anyone here that has had the same experience that Job had? I'm very sure of one thing. I don't think there's any. That, I mean... This man, we are told, was a great man. It's not a matter of, uh, I used to have a car and the car is gone. No, it's not that one we are talking about. Because for some of us, even that car that is gone, it's a, it is grace. It's God that decided to have mercy on you and took that car away. So that you stop wasting money on it. So it's not a matter of, I used to have a car and it is gone. Job was a great man. He had things in abundance. And one day, how many days? One day. In one day, he lost all. He had only his wife left. But brethren, it was only a matter of time. Before he did what? Before he lost his wife. When his wife came, do you still maintain your integrity? Tell somebody, don't sell your integrity. It's very important. But in, in Job chapter, uh, is it chapter 2, verse 9, the wife said to him, does thou still retain your integrity? Cause God and do what? Die. And die. This pain is too much. She wasn't the one in pain. Oh. 
It was Job that was in pain. But she came and advised him. You know, that's what, what the Bible calls miserable, uh, what is it? Yes, that's the word. Miserable comforters. Job's wife was what? A miserable comforter. The best he could offer to Job was to say, curse God and die. The man looked at her and said, which kind? Are you? you are supposed to be encouraging me. What are you saying? Shall we receive good and shall we not receive evil? Then look at it. The Bible repeated it again. In all this, what happened to Job? He did not sin with his lips. The trial of faith. Brethren, the trial will come. It will not come at your weak point. It will come at your strong point. But it's because God is saying, I want to take you higher than where you are. Bible scholars make us understand that everything that Job went through lasted only how long? Nine months. But I can assure you, those nine months, for anybody that goes through that exercise, they are like eternity. His travails lasted nine months. In the midst of it all, Job made a statement in Job chapter 19, verse 25. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He said, though after my skin worms destroyed his body, yet in my flesh shall I do what? I shall see God. I shall see God. Job goes on further in Job chapter 14, from verse 7 to 9. He said, there is hope for the tree. Tell somebody, there is hope for me. Somebody does not mean it. Say, there is hope for me. Whatever my situation right now, there's what? There is hope for me. My situation right now is not terminal. Tell somebody, my situation is not terminal. And that means, maybe it's a sickness. It could be cancer. I'm telling you right now, it is not terminal. Whatever the doctors have said, it is not terminal. Because there is hope for a tree. And you are not a tree. You are a man, you are a woman. You are a son, you are a daughter of the living God. There is hope for you. I say there is hope for you. I say there is hope for you. I want to declare unto somebody here today, this sickness is not unto death. You will yet testify of the goodness of God. I want to declare to somebody here today, this situation is that the name of the Lord may be glorified. And your situation will glorify His name in Jesus' name. He said, I saw for a tree. If it be cut down, it will sprout again. And the tender branch thereof will not cease. It will not do what? It will not cease. You will branch out. You will sprout, and God will be proud of you in Jesus' name. He says, though the roots thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk dry in the ground, he says, yet through the scent of water, it will burn and bring forth like a plant. You will yet spring forth. I say, you will yet spring forth in the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 42, from verse 10 to verse 13. That the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. In other words, don't live a life where you are so much consumed about your situation and forget to pray for others. 
In praying for others, God will answer your prayer. In praying for others, God will answer you. You don't know who, who I mean, the others to pray for, pray for pastor. Amen? That's how they pray for pastor. If you don't know anyone you, I want you, you can pray for, anyone you can intercede for, pray for pastor. And that's one of the quickest prayers that God will answer. Not only will God answer your prayer for pastor, God will now answer your own situation. He will meet you at your own point of need. God will answer you in Jesus' name. When Job prayed for his friends, that's very important. God turned his captivity. And then the Bible says, God gave Job twice as much as he had before. Twice as much as he had before. You lost an old rickety car. God is giving you two new cars. Somebody does not receive it. Uh, brethren, don't let the angels take this blessing back to heaven. I say you lost an old rickety car. God is giving you two new cars. Your landlord has given you a letter of eviction. Is it eviction? What do they call it? Eviction. Aha. You will soon be a landlord of three houses. You know what, brethren? There's some things God has been seeking to us in this church. And there's someone here who is delaying the hand of God because you are refusing to obey God. God has spoken that there will be some glorious landlords in this house. God has spoken that he's raising some millionaires in this church. Now, you have a choice. If the people in-house refuse to move, what will God do? He will bring some people from outside. What do you want God to do? To use you or to bring others from outside? As many as want to be used, God will use you in Jesus' name. Do you know that if God cannot use you, you are useless? Do you realize that? As many as God cannot use, they are what? You will not be useless in Jesus' name. I said you will not be useless in Jesus' name. God multiplied whatever Job lost. And at the beginning, he had seven sons and three daughters. At the end, he had seven sons and three daughters. I think he started to do family planning. He decided that seven sons were enough. And God said, so I want to give him more than he had before. So what did God do? The Bible says in all the land, there was none as beautiful as the three daughters of Job. That was the icing on the cake. The Bible says of our God, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, unto him that is what? Able to do, exceeding abundantly, above all we are able to think or ask, according to what? The power that worketh in us. The power that ensured that restoration was a, was a portion of Job. The power that ensured that the three Hebrew brethren came out of the furnace. The power that is speaking to somebody's life here today and saying, you will not die this way. Amen. The power that we're saying, you will yet testify. Amen. The power that is saying, there, are good, there is goodness and glory ahead of you. Amen. And you will not miss it in Jesus' name. Finally, there was a man in John chapter 9 whom we are told was born blind. And the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, who did sin that this man was born blind? John chapter 9 from verse 1. Who did sin? Was it his parents that sinned? 
Why was he born blind? The answer in verse 3 is very instructive. Jesus said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I want to pray for someone here today. The works of God will be made manifest in you. I said the works of God will be made manifest in you. My brother was sharing a, 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 a testimony with me uh, during this last week. Many of us know him. He went for an interview before he started working for himself. He said he was either the third or fourth person on the list. And there was someone after him. No, he was the third. And there were five. And when it was his turn to go in, somebody came in and said, Oh, uh, you know what? I have another job I'm doing. I just took permission to come. Can you please allow me to do what? To go in for the interview before you. And he didn't see anything wrong in that. So he sat down there. And this man was supposed to be uh, maybe number four or whatever. Uh, number five. Came in and he went ahead of him. Then the man, the man who was supposed to be after him said, well, since you allowed him to go, I will also do what? I will also go ahead. So he said he sat down there and he saw a magazine on, you know, on the table and he just picked it and started reading it. And read, going through the magazine, he now saw the names of some chemicals. He didn't know much about them, but at least he took note of the names. So all these other people went in for the interview before him and so he was the last person that went. And then when he got in there, what was the question they asked him? He said, what do you know about the chemicals that we use in this company? And he just began to mention names of, he just told them names based on what he was reading because those other people overtook him. In a, within a short minute when they asked him, what do, do you want us to pay you? interview was over. If those other men had not overtaken him, he wouldn't have known that those were the chemicals they used in that company. He wouldn't have mentioned their names. They didn't ask for the process. He, was, he didn't know the process. They just needed to hear the names. They've interviewed every other person. And they didn't know any of those chemicals. So if you just know the chemicals, you don't need to know the process. The job is yours. God will arrange a divine encounter for someone here today. God will order your steps to the realm of your abundance. God will order your steps in a way that no man will share the glory. God alone will take the glory. And he said, we glorify your life in Jesus' name. That man was born blind. He was born blind so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. There are different ways that you want the work of God to be made manifest in you. There are different ways that God wants to do something new in your life today. Whatever your situation, why don't you just tell God and say, Lord, let your work be made manifest in my life. Let's bow our heads, brethren. The trial of your faith.